Hi, I'm Palma Polisel. I'm a solo parent, dog lover, and a member of the widowed community, a club no one wants to join. Following the loss of my spouse, I felt compelled to help others navigate widowhood and find a fulfilling life after loss. I invite you to spend time with me as I am joined by a variety of guests, including widows, widowers, and professional experts. To name a few topics, we will be discussing grief, loneliness, dating, solo parenting, and self-care. We will also discuss finances with topics like dealing with debt, insurance, estates, and building an emergency fund. I believe that resolving financial issues is essential to improving the journey through grief. Together, with both knowledge and empowerment, we will learn how to move forward and navigate this new normal. Hi, Richard. How are you? I'm good, Palma. How are you today? I'm really good. Thank you. Nice and hot out. So I'm happy, oh, happy, yeah. happy. Uh, <laughs> what's happy, new? Happy. Tell me. Oh, I read a really good book that I want to tell you about. It's called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. Really wow. inspirational book, <laughs> despite the title. But despite anyhow, it. It, it's written by this palliative care nurse in Australia. Her name is Bronnie Ware. Not mm-hmm. Bonnie, but Bronnie. Anyhow, she is a nurse and her job is to take care of people that are terminally ill and not just terminally ill, but in the last weeks of their ultimate death. And she goes in there, makes a connection emotionally, helps them physically, and then also helps the family with with that tragic event. And what she found during her career was that there are some very common regrets that many of her patients had on their deathbed. And we've we've heard about this, but she actually wrote about it and she summarized it into five big regrets. And what she did is that she, in the book, she tries to incorporate the regrets into her own life. In other words, she tries to avoid them so that hopefully when she's on her deathbed, she will not say the same things. She may say other things. So, are you okay if I, 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 I don't, I know we have a lot on the agenda today, but no, I only no, want to go through no. the, definitely. Yeah? I'm so, okay. I'm so interested in this. Go ahead. Number one, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Now, as a widow and a widower, we have so many expectations and we're going to talk about that today, mm-hmm. but there are so many expectations about when we should date, how long we should mourn, what functions we should avoid or, or participate in. Well, everyone has these situations where they act as they are expected, not necessarily in their own wishes. So that's actually number one. Interesting. And, and, I, and I'm all over that one. I, I, I have bowed to expectations and, and I'm trying to change that. And I think now that she, the way she put it is, is really helpful. Number two is I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Mm, I've heard this one before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you never you never hear anybody say I should have spent more time at the office. So nope. number number two is pretty self-sufficient or self-explanatory. You get on that treadmill of work and then everything else falls to the wayside. You know, your personal relationships, your wife, your husband, many people get divorced because of work. Of course, you avoid all kinds of very uh, enjoyable experiences because of work. Because of work. Nobody said on their deathbed, I think, I'm glad I worked so hard yeah, that's or too. so much. Yeah, exactly. So number three is interesting. It says, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings to others. Now, this is interesting because it's not just positive 
expression or feelings, but also negative feelings. So of course, and we don't do enough of this, but if you love someone and you care for someone, we should, we should acknowledge that we should share that information with him or her. Often we don't, we just stay quiet, even though we are, we are so full of emotions for that individual. I know, for example, my dad has never told me that he loved me, but I know he loves me, but he never has said that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I wonder if on his deathbed, he'll say, I should have said to my two sons, I love them. Have you ever asked him? No. Why? <laughs> well, <laughs> what am I going to say? Do you love me? No, I, I, you say it to him though, correct? Uh, yeah, you're right. It's a cat. It's the chicken and the egg. Anyhow, <laughs> the, you have to have courage to express your feelings and not just positive feelings, also constructive criticism. Uh, Often it's hard just, to do that. Yeah. yeah, we bite our tongue and we mm-hmm. don't say what we should be saying to one of our friends or a close colleague. And then it, mm-hmm. it it's just not an authentic relationship anymore. Absolutely. The fourth, the fourth one is, and I'm guilty of this. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I, I do that you a have lot. A, yeah. And I think maybe it's a man thing, but I don't know if I want to blame it on just men. But I... When after Mary died, I realized that many of my friends were connected to Mary's female friend. So her the they were husbands of the friends that Mary had. So I accidentally became their friends because Mary and their wives were friends. Mm-hmm. So I didn't deliberately pick that individual. It just it just happened accidentally. So keep that in mind. And I guess the fifth one is connected to, to everything we talked about in the last episode. I wish I had let myself be happier. And being happy is a choice. And we talked about cognitive behavior therapy. And so in your mind, if you choose to be happy, then those are the feelings that you'll get. And they, they will lead to positive behavior. But you could also choose to be miserable. Mm-hmm. And that will lead to thoughts that, and behavior that are miserable. If you, if we have a choice, which I believe we do, then why don't we just pick the happier one? Pick the better of the two. Certainly. And I do subscribe to that. However, neither one of us are experts. And we know that unfortunately in mental illness, sometimes it's not as easy as choosing to be happy. Yeah. And so of course, in those situations that you need to seek help. Yeah. And we talked Um, about that last week. Complicated grief. If you're in complicated grief, I don't know if you can just change your thoughts and good point, Palma. Thank you. But anyhow. Take it for what it's worth. I think those five regrets, we probably have heard of many of them, if not all of them. Probably be wise to see if we can prevent some of those regrets from occurring in our own lives. Thank you. Anyhow. Actually, that was very informative. And I I, I learned a lot, actually, from several of those. Did you, write, did you write them down? I did, actually. Good, good. I see you writing there. I hope you wrote them all down. <laughs> I did. Thank you. Today, I, along with Richard, my guest, will be talking about common expectations in grief. In other words, what society expects or even what other widows and widowers expect to see in someone who's grieving. Now, I'm going to talk about timeline now, Richard. For myself, I the grieving process for me took to the point where I felt that I was coming out of the sadness and possibly ready to date and looking forward to the future was about a year and three quarters, almost two years. Now, the second year was still hard, but I was at the point where I saw that it was getting better for me and I was more accepting and I knew what the reality was. I was accepting of it and I was moving forward. And you? 
Tell well, me. I think if that's the case, Palma, you were way too late for Western society to get over it. And I say get over it with air, air quotations, because mm-hmm. Western society thinks, you know, two weeks is enough. Most employers in Canada will give you a two week bereavement period if you lose a spouse. Wow. So I, I guess they're saying that after two weeks, you, you're ready to go. I, I'm still not where I was before this occurred in terms of my mental health. I still mm-hmm. need to work on it and to find ways to to move forward with mm-hmm. Mary's passing. So two weeks, and, and I don't know why, uh, Western society, Canada, the United States, we feel that you got to get over it quickly. And, and maybe it's connected to productivity. We've got to be productive. We've got to make more next year than we did this year. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's also the get over it quickly and you're going to get better. You're going to get stronger. You're going to get, you're going to become a much better human being after you get over this. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think what it does, it gives widowers and widows the expectations that we are taking too long. There's something wrong. Right. Yeah. So if you've taken more than two weeks, you're going back to work. Everybody expects, yeah, it's done. You're you're back to work. You're good to go. You're not good Mm -hmm. to go. Mm -hmm. You're not. That is a big expectation that is put up on us. Do not fall into that trap of following that particular expectation or rule. If it's a rule, follow your own, your own experience. If it takes a year, 10 years, whatever it takes, it's your personal experience. It has nothing to do with what other people expect. Yeah, I couldn't say it better myself. You well, are you. absolutely, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> so moving on, I guess along that theme, let's talk about dating and remarriage. Dating and remarriage. If there okay. is a remarriage. Yeah. I, as I mentioned, wasn't anywhere near ready to date until at least I hit the two-year mark. Then I started to think, okay, this is a possibility there. That's when I started. You, however, was a little earlier, right? For you, Correct. Yeah, I felt I could date after about nine or 10 months after Mary's passing. And I know what you're thinking, uh, men, men replace and women mourn, uh, which I think is another expectation that is completely false. Uh, But anyhow, Mm -hmm. I I do think that there is there are expectations. Maybe they're even different between men and and women, but there is an expectation that you should postpone uh, dating and remarrying if you become widowed. Now, I had people that were accepting, accepting of my desire to to get to know another person, another woman. But I also had people that were discomfort. They, they just didn't, they couldn't see it. They weren't happy with it. Mm-hmm. And, and even in my own family, there was, there was controversy. There were two, ch- we ha- I have three. One was completely open with the idea. One was kind of lukewarm, but he was sort of neutral. He he said, do what you want to do, dad, but count me out. And then the third one <clears throat> was, I'm not interested in this. I, I think it's a crappy idea. I think mm-hmm. it's a, di- I, well, she didn't say the word crappy. She probably meant to say, or she, in fact, I don't know what she said, but I remember the tone. It was like, this is re- disrespectful to mom. And that's not what I wanted to do, but those are some of the expectations that men and, and women have to go or through. the reactions when, you the had. Reactions, yeah. I had similar reactions. Uh, some family was, actually most of my family was incredibly supportive. But I had some friends who actually flat out told me, I don't want to see you with anyone, ever. 
Ever. Meaning, meaning I can't stand the thought of actually visually seeing yeah. you holding someone else's hand or, or, or creating a life with someone else. And one of them said it in a very joking way, but I knew that deep mm. down she actually meant it. Yeah. Um. So therefore, when I yeah right. So oh, therefore, yeah, she when I it. when I started dating, I made sure I went to restaurants that were out of the way so that nobody <laughs> would see me. I wouldn't hold his hand, even though we had dated for several dates. I mean, it was completely fine. Part of that was what I thought people would say if they saw me, which was ridiculous. I was widowed. Part of it, believe it or not, is I felt guilty. Yeah, that you were being unfaithful. Unfaithful, even right. though he, he was gone. Right. And you were no longer married. I was no longer married. I had every right to date. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's it's just a very strange scenario for me at that time. And looking back now, I thought how how ridiculous that I even let the comments of other people affect me in any way. Well, we're 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 subject to the expectations, and no matter how confident or strong you are, they do have an impact. And mm -hmm. this is a big one. You know, mm -hmm. we were talking before off air that there are some cultures that. For, for the widow, she's not allowed to remarry ever for the rest mm -hmm. of her life. Mm -hmm. Was like that. Yeah, okay, that... I, I agree. And then things are definitely changing. Yes. That, uh, um... But that's where we're coming from. Mm -hmm. Imagine. We're coming... Imagine. Yeah. So if you're widowed, in your case, you were widowed in your early 40s. That's a long time to be alone. A long time to be alone. And actually, I know the country you're speaking of, and it, it wasn't changed. That law wasn't changed until 1955. Oh, gosh. That yeah. really isn't that long ago. No, no, no. Not as modern history. Yeah, exactly. So so prior to that, you're right. A widow was a widow, left in poverty, and um, could never remarry, was really treated as an outcast. Yeah, men wouldn't wouldn't want to date her. Um, no, She was left not. alone. She was of course not. And maybe she couldn't even work. She just had to take care of the kids. Anyhow, very, yeah. very bad expectations. Mm -hmm. But no, different today. Maybe Thank not goodness. as dramatic, but they're still there today. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. How often, let me ask you, how often do you go to the cemetery to visit Mary? So I thought you might ask that question and I, I, I thought about it. I visit Mary's cemetery probably during milestones. So her mm -hmm. birthday, Mother's Day, Christmas, and, and so forth. Mm -hmm. Other than that, I don't tend to go. Hmm. The reason I ask is I had a conversation with my mother-in-law just this uh -oh. week. Yeah. And she said to me that she feels that we are not honoring the memory or the person if we don't go often. Yeah. And, and, and you she should goes be, weekly. And you should videotape that so that other people can see that you go to the cemetery. Yeah. Documentation of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I like you go on occasion, um, meaning that I go at his birthday and father's day and things of right. that nature. But I yeah. don't feel that, to show your love or how much you honored them is related to how often you go to a cemetery. Yeah. I've had clients and I don't know why they do it. They've been women and they're older women and maybe it's part of their tradition. They go to the cemetery every morning. I'm not kidding. Mm -hmm. And they feel that that's how they honor their late husband. And I'm not going to judge who are we to judge whether you want to do that or not. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that that is, in my case, a way that I can honor Mary. Mm -hmm. I really believe that if you're going to honor anybody, you got to do it when they're alive. After they pass away, yeah, do not disrespect them. But going to the cemetery, it's too late. If you were a bad husband or a bad partner, 
it's just too late. You can't, mm -hmm. you can't change that. Mm -hmm. so, so honor them when they're alive, honor them when they're alive. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then when they're gone, yes, remember their memory and, and visit the tombstone every now and then when you can and, and think about them often. Like you told me, think about Dave every day. I do every too. day. Every Years day. later, I still Multiple think of him every times. day. Mm -hmm. Multiple times, not just once. Mm -hmm. Anyhow. Yeah, that is um, my in-laws. Yeah. My in-laws have the same uh, issue. They go on a weekly basis and I've heard them talk about other relatives that don't go and they feel that that's disrespectful Disres to Mary. You've also started a foundation for Mary to raise yes, money. I, so that's a way of honoring someone. Yeah, I think that's a better way. Going to the cemetery is fine. I'm not going to dis I'm not going to dissuade anybody from doing that, but I wanted to take a more proactive approach. And so as a family, we've we've helped a research study at Princess Margaret in a very very small way. It's an ovarian cancer research project. I'm hoping that it'll move the needle a little bit. And hopefully in our lifetime, my goal is to live long enough to see the cure for ovarian cancer. Mm. Uh, so I, it's I, I, wonderful. Don't know, I don't know if that'll work, but we're, we're trying. We're definitely trying. Every and little bit helps. Exactly. And I'm also part of the Princess Margaret Ride for the Cure. And that happens every June. And it's a 200 kilometer bike ride from Toronto to Niagara Falls. And it attracts about 5,000 people, 5,000 riders. And they raise a ton of money. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think the last time we did it, we raised about $10 million in Toronto. Amazing. Yeah. Tremendous amount of money. So I feel I can help in that way. And you definitely do. Now, speaking, as I mentioned, I spoke to my mother-in-law this week. I was at a medical appointment with her. That's another topic here. Taking care of your in-laws. You feel that you should be taking care of your in-laws now that Mary is gone. Did you say in-laws or outlaws? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I, I guess it all depends on your relationship prior, but I, it okay, could be the answer, either. The answer is no. 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 Period. Period. Well, is that because Mary has a brother and you feel it's his job? Yes. I do think that uh, her older brother should take care of her parents, his parents. I have older parents too. And between my brother and I, we will take care and have taken care of my parents. And I feel that my brother-in-law could probably should do the same. Now, if there wasn't a brother-in-law involved, then I might change my mind. I don't know. But mm -hmm. um, I don't feel responsible for that at all. And I, I would imagine there are people that ex think I should do it, but I, I don't feel obligated to do mm. that at all. How about so you? I, so I do. And it's it's tremendously difficult. She She relies on me for everything. I go to all the medical appointments. I I read all of all her correspondence, even though she speaks English perfectly well. But she, as she gets older, feels I feel anyway, or it seems that she relies on me a lot more. She does Where, have a she does have a daughter, but her daughter lives in Europe, so therefore it's all on me. I feel like I owe her. I feel like in Dave's memory, I owe her. She was a wonderful mother to him. And a wonderful mother-in-law to me. So I care about her. Oh, I'm doing it. But it's so stressful, I have to say. Yeah, caregiving is is a lot of work. I think mm -hmm. it's underrated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and until you go through it, you don't realize how much stress and right. frustration. But I, I hear your pain. Palma, I, I, I think you should ask for help. She has a daughter and you have a sister-in-law. Despite the fact that she doesn't live in Canada... I think at this point, you should say, I've done it for so many years. You need help. 
-hmm. And whether that means hiring a nurse to take take her to appointments or her daughter comes back to Canada for a period of months and relieves you for a bit. I don't think it's out of the question to ask for help. Mm, uh, so may, idea. maybe there's another expectation. You you're you feel that you you shouldn't have to ask for help. You can do it all yourself. But I don't. There you I don't go. There you go. I should be everywhere. speaking my mind. I should you be sh- speaking my mind, but I yeah, don't. Hold on. Hold on a second. Was that what number was that? That was number three. I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. Mm, from the book, yes, you're right, and uh, you know I'm. Canadian, we're polite. So I'm very <laughs> reluctant to say anything like that. Yeah, you know but I like I, your I like your ideas. You're just gonna get resentful and then it'll ruin the relation the good relationship that you have with your mother-in-law. Mm, well noted. Thank you. Thank you. One more thing, and you're the expert here, so I'll defer to you for this. Do you think widowers are treated differently in the grief process than widows? Oh, totally. Totally. Men, yeah, wow. men men are treated awful as widowers women get all the sympathy all the oh, uh, support my, right. we get nothing we get <laughs> go back to work go make money take well, care that, of your w- wait take, a minute that take rule, care of your kids. that rule applies to both women widowers uh, and widows yeah sort of a man is supposed to go back to work take care of his kids or he's supposed to marry a woman who could be the mother of his kids so that they will have a motherly influence. Mm-hmm. You, I don't think women are under the same expectation. Say they're, they're supposed to be the ideal parent. What about showing emotions? Oh yeah. men. Are, oh yeah. There's another one. Thank you. <laughs> men can't show any emotions because if we do, we are seen as weak. Mm-hmm. We are seen as not worthy of the situation. We, we just can't handle it. So mm-hmm. God forbid. And, and I think it's drilled into our minds from when we were kids. You know, luckily, don't cry. Right. Uh, luckily, things are changing for little boys. You know, they're taught now, I hope, to know that it's quite okay to show their emotions. Yeah. And and we'll see what the, the next generations do with that. But I think my generation, I think it's pretty, mm-hmm. it's pretty um, well expected or ingrained that we don't show emotions and mourning too. Like a woman can mourn forever. If a man mourns more for more than a couple of days and he's, you know, a wimp. Or he's just, he's not handling it well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So men do, and I, I actually looked up an article about this. They do tend to date earlier than yeah, widows. I find that hard to believe. Um, you're wrong about that. So I found, <laughs> I found a study by Carr and Borner, and it's entitled Dating and Remarriage Following Widowhood. And it examined dating patterns of widows and widowers and found that on average, widowers were much more likely to be dating within a shorter time period. And one of the reasons it found for this is that men rely on their spouse or partner for emotional support. And women don't. Mm, maybe not. They rely on each other. Other they rely or, or possibly, possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't believe that study at all. Was that funded by a group of women. <laughs> it's actually two men that wrote the study. So yeah, but who funded You are it? wrong. It doesn't matter who <laughs> okay, funded Okay, so the it. authors are men, but the funding came from women. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that is the case and maybe your, your, your facts are correct. I don't know. Whether or not a man needs a woman to rely on emotionally, I think is an expectation that we feel, society feels that men need women 
because we're emotionally ruined and we need a woman to help with our emotions. As I mentioned before, though, Richard, in my bereavement groups, we had bets going to in regards to the men as to how quick they'd be dating and how quick they'd be married or how quick they'd be living with someone. So there is some truth to this and it's it's all good. Uh, and were you, were you guys right? We were right. In uh, fact, I still keep in touch with a lot of the people that were in the bereavement group. So the bereavement group is a dating group, not a bereavement group. Well, for the men, it was. Oh, for not, the men, yes. Yeah, not, not for the for women. The women. But who, who did they date? Other uh, women. They date other women. In, no, they date other women in the bereavement group. Well, not at that time. They eventually dated, including myself. I dated several of them, but I didn't date them until <laughs> I was almost two years into the process. Okay. So here's another level of expectations. Not only is there an expectation between the widowed community and the non-widowed community, but now we have expectations within the widowed community. So your expectations are that a man should wait longer <laughs> to um, to recover and to heal, but then he doesn't. He just jumps into it. In fact, even at a bereavement group, He's looking for a date. <laughs> That's right. And I never went and to they a were looking, bereavement They were group. looking for support too. So you should have gone. I, You know what? We have obviously COVID prevented that, but I am going to look into bereavement groups as soon as I get off this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think part of the reason also that, that men and women actually date earlier or early-ish, I would say, is loneliness. And for, for listeners, if you'd like to go on to mywidowedlife.com, I wrote a blog about about bereavement, about grieving. And the one thing I did write, and I believe it was number five, is that never date because you're lonely. Date because you want to at the point that you've recovered enough and uh, and maybe worked on your feelings and emotions through that whatever time period it is that you set for yourself and then date. But I think it it can end badly if you're dating only because you're lonely. You might jump into things or into a relationship or date someone that so you feel is wonderful. But in what should end, you do? Like, I'm lonely. What should I do? You just well, told me there I shouldn't are all date. sorts of groups in, in today's society. It's so easy to go on your phone and find groups of gen, just general meetups in a city where you're meeting up and maybe going for a hike or there are breakfast groups where you're in with a bunch of women and men and you're having yeah. breakfast or brunch and things like that. Yeah, for a change, I, I agree with you. <laughs> Thank you. I think, I think we we need to men and women need to mourn and go through that process at whatever pace that it is for that individual, mm -hmm. and to package it up and put it away and move on to another step without move doing forward. The work. Yeah, yeah, without doing the homework, move forward, the hard work first. Mm -hmm. I think could hurt. It could so hurt, I, and, and I this applies agree. to this applies to people that are going through divorce as well, or or yeah. are divorced. A lot of people jump into a second relationship or a third, a rebound, a rebound, a rebound yeah. relationship very quickly. And, and before they've even dealt with what happened or why it happened and it doesn't end well, but anyway, moving on. Yeah. So there are a lot of things that are different in terms of a grieving for men and women. And we've addressed yeah. quite a few of them. And you're right. When you talk about the women in the bereavement group, there was some judgment, I would say towards the men and even towards other women. Yeah. Sometimes they weren't grieving at the same pace and they felt they were moving too quickly or too slowly. Right. So we have to be careful not, not to judge, period. My final thoughts on this episode, Richard. Mm, are we th we're there. We're we are there. Okay. For family uh -huh. and friends, I want to say this to you. 
How dare you judge a widow or a widower unless you walk a mile in their shoes? Whether it's dating, how long they're grieving, how short they're grieving, whatever the case is, uh, it may appear fast, it may appear slow. It doesn't matter. You should not judge. You should not be speaking up at all unless you've you've been through it yourself. And even then, be careful. Everybody grieves at a different pace. Bottom line, there's no right or wrong way to grieve. Each person's journey through loss is unique and personal. Hmm. Have you yeah, learned well, anything through today's episode? Well, how can I add anything to that? That That's beautiful. I, I, I totally agree <laughs> with that. But my lesson today is that when you see a griever, you don't know when they started grieving. And so, like you said, I, I, or I said, I started dating after about 10 months that Mary passed away. The truth is I started grieving long, long before that. So she was sick for almost five years. And during that five-year period, there was about a year and a half when things looked really, really good. And then there was a relapse. And then the doctors indicated that this could get worse. And I was extremely optimistic. But I, my grieving started then. I would say my grieving started within the five-year period, probably in year two, maybe in year two and a half. So when you look at me 10 of, months Of after, when she was ill, you mean? Right. Yeah. Sorry. Prior. Of when okay. she was ill. So I grieved for about, let's say, three years before she even passed away because I, I was I was going to miss her. I was not going to have my partner. I was The kids weren't going to have their mother. And I was beginning to grieve long before she actually died. This is not just to, to, for the listeners that are widowers or widowed. I think you, you, if you are, your journey is your journey. And I don't know where it started. And I shouldn't be the, I shouldn't be judging you on where I think you are because I don't know where your beginning was. I don't know where your start date was. And so if you're a non-widow or widower, don't judge because he or she may do things that are not necessarily expected by society, it doesn't mean that they're not grieving properly. You don't know how long they've been grieving and you don't know how they grieve. Just because wow. they go and play golf on a Friday afternoon doesn't mean that they're being disloyal to their to their spouse. You made some excellent points there. It is so true. We have no idea when the grieving process started for anyone. Yes. Bottom line keep our comments to ourselves unless they're about us. <laughs> no, no, you no, just... no, no, you can't do that. That's number three. I wish I had the courage oh, to express okay. my feelings. Yes. Well, it, express your feelings in a constructive way, maybe, but not in this way. You well, have no right to judge no, when that's... someone is grieving, how long right. they've been in it, whether it's right or wrong. It's yeah. really up to them. Those are expectations that really should just be ignored. Like if you're widowed, ignore the expectations and, and walk through your journey at your own pace. Yeah, very, very, very great. Good way to end the, the podcast. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Palma. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, listeners, for more insight, support, and resources related to widowhood, visit my website at mywidowedlife.com. That's where I expand on topics discussed on the podcast and apply them to the unique circumstances of widows and widowers. I also invite you to join the My Widowed Life Facebook group, a group that welcomes everyone, regardless of when you lost your loved one. This is a safe, non-judgmental space where you can like, comment, and post in an environment where everyone gets it.
Please see the show notes for contact details and links to the My Widowed Life website and Facebook group. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast platform. Also, please share this podcast with your family and friends. Until next time, take care.